Hi, folks. Welcome back to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, featuring distinctly qualified global change makers that are dedicated to creating a healthier planet. My name is Julian Guderlei. I'm committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. And today's episode is part of the Design Science Studio series, a collaboration with the Buckminster Fuller Institute. And my guest is Akiko Ogawa. Welcome, Akiko. She's a multidisciplinary visionary artist, entrepreneur, and design scientist of the Design Science Studio. She's working on technical grand scale solutions for a more ecologically centered and regenerative economy. And she applies biomimicry, uses living systems and complex systems theory as guiding principles for innovation. Her project is called Sea Chair and also Hive. And they are aimed at the ontological design of social networks and platforms to shift civilization from extinction towards a civilization that thrives with life. So that sets up, uh, us up for a great conversation. Welcome to the show, Akiko. Thank you so much, Julian. It's such a pleasure to be on this podcast with you. Um, yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll share a bit of my project. Um, yeah, about... go ahead. I'm all, I'm all curious about SeaChair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so SeaChair is basically still in its prototyping phase. It's not really in production. So we're still kind of experimenting with these with these ideals that we've sort of gathered. But um, with the Design Science Studio, we are sort of formulating this new concept of the regenescence. Um, and the regenescence is, is all about using the regenerative principles to sort of kind of formulate um, new economic systems and new sort of incentive systems. And not only that, it's also like a reaction and a response to um, to, to the scientific age um, and, the and the Renaissance era was basically um, a reaction to this scientific era. Um, painters such as William Blake and Turner did um, paintings from that romantic period to sort of kind of as a response to the sort of damage that we're doing against, against the environment. Um, yeah, and an explosion really of like solutions and connections, right? Through yeah. like, cultural kind of, I mean, cultural explosions here, careful what I'm saying, of art and literature and just the a, a different invitation, I guess, is, is what I would, would say the Regenaissance really is for those who believe in, um, you know, a, um, a, a pathway of life that works for 100% of life. And not so yeah. much that we know how it works for 100% of life, but it's a steady commitment and invitation that this is really the direction that matters. Yes, exactly. And with the Renaissance, it was very much to do with um, new sort of like ways of reasoning and new, new sorts of models to really understand the world that we live in. And in order, in order to survive as a species, we, we really need to kind of mo model our surroundings in order to sort of survive. Um, and what the scientific paradigm gave was this new sort of like consensus that was based on um, formulating hypotheses and theories. Um, and what we're seeing now is that we're seeing that the regenerance is about holistic and wholeness rather than um, very reductionist um, views of society and of life. Um, and it's a philosophy that is inclusive of, of everything and, and all of life, including all sorts of um, biodiverse varieties and indigenous cultures and when I say varieties I mean like having you know basically having inc including everyone within 
within this reality. So it's not just ones that are able to sort of lucky enough to be in the scientific institutions. Um, and it's also, it is also inclusive of the natural world because I feel like um, the, way, the, the rate that we're going now with climate change is a result of this lack of accountability that we're sort of not really um, implementing into our systems and into our, our software. Um, right, and, and into I, our relationships, yeah. right? Yes. With, with each other, with the, mm -hmm. the way we work, with, with, with nature itself. Like it's, it's, you said it really well, it's, it's very reductionist in, in the principal approach of of uh, subtraction and accumulation of certain parameters and certain guidelines and certain SDGs until year X, rather than looking at the mm -hmm. core relationship that we have with the planet, with nature, with the other species, with, with ourselves. Yeah, and exactly. And, and we do need to sort of reduce it sometimes to really understand the very quantum level of, you know, the molecular structure of things. And, you know, we have that now and it's like, we want to know so much about the world that to the point where we're destroying it. And I think that um, definitely we have discovered quantum physics through this reducible, you know, re reduction of science. And as an outcome of that, we have com compartmentalized education and compartmentalized systems. And the rate that we're going now with individuals within these systems is that we're specializing our knowledge to the point where we're sort of not looking at how the parts fit into the whole. Um, so definitely like looking into holographic um, architecture and holographic technologies is definitely one of the values that we're sort of um, implementing. Um, and it's quite interesting because if you think about like DNA and if you think about like how DNA is is in all our cells so like we we all share one one set of DNA um, I'm not really a biologist but I do I do sort of emulate these evolutionary biology principles the DNA is not like is is being shared across the whole body but it's all expressed differently and the idea with C-chair is that it will be using sort of like architecture that is holonic in the sense where um, the code and like the principles and constitution is is basically replicated and expressed differently um, depending on the different sort of cultures and communities that are within the context. So it's it's also all about like the architecture that I'm sort of exploring with this project. Mm, yeah. So you're talking about the way epigenetics expresses based on not just the DNA blueprint, but also the way we are interacting with our environment, with the protein compounds we're creating based mm -hmm. on our food, our microbiome, our, you know, our, our cultural conditioning. Um, yeah, it is, it is a very real topic, especially nowadays that, you know, a lot of the people, um, you know, listening and, and maybe even the two of us right now at this moment are kind of in confined spaces, either locked down or, or, or are still traveling around the world, but at least wearing masks. Um, so, so we're in a very unique time where I think humanity is invited to understand who we are in relationship with the rest of the natural world and how we really, you know, rise to the occasion of, of, mm -hmm. of being a keystone species rather than a destructive species. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the word ontological design is going around as well. It's that what, whatever we design does 
in effect, like in return, shape us through feedback loops. Um, and that's another sort of principle that I'm exploring in, in the field of cybernetics that looks at systems in terms of the control mechanisms and the feedback loops between these systems. So yeah, exactly. The way we design things, it does affect us. And it not only affects us like in terms of the environment and the architecture, physical spaces, but it also in, in our software, like the way that we relate to or the way that we interact with the technology. For example, Facebook, it's, um, it's designed in a way that is very much kind of encourages, you know, divisiveness in a way. And it's, um, I'm not really, yeah, or I haven't really- comparison, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, um, it, the design is just really important and it's the feedback loops that sort of create that sense of like fear and sense of, you know, anxiety when you're interacting and arguing with one another. Um, so I, I feel like, um, I feel like what's needed in this regenerance as well as this new sort of platforms and tools that connect people and, and enable people to cooperate rather than sort of um, isolate and alienate, alienate people and get people in echo chambers, uh, which is which is why like the spread of fake news is becoming so successful. Yeah, and um, mm. it's interesting that you're going into like the topic of also the new language that is needed to kind of, you know, understand that there's there's a new kind of software and toolkit, just like we're updating the operating system of our cell phones or the operating mm -hmm. system of our yeah. laptops is in order to really not just believe, but to make possible an experience of a world that doesn't go towards extinction, but goes towards thriving. Uh, mm -hmm. Everyone who is on board with that vision kind of needs to update to the shared operating system of that. It's, that's kind of what I'm hearing. And what, I, what I've learned with you in the Design Science Court is that there's all kinds of language that, you know, like the regenerance as a, as a, as a word and um, ontological design, like designing for the states of being. But I think at the very bottom line, um, it's it's the is that these solutions will need a a kind of a pathway for shared experience in the first place and so that we can as individuals and as collective um be committed to imagining this future and then to mm -hmm. make this future a reality so in other words or in my words i would say i don't really know how to get to the future and i wouldn't even call it utop utopic and I would even say that everyone who claims to know it, like if it's some kind of agenda or some kind of uh, uh, plan with robots, it's like, I'd be personally very careful with this because the, the beauty of life is that the process is why we're, what we're here for. So as long as we have a commitment and a dedication towards a shared experience, it will emerge how that experience shows up. Just like in the forest, mm -hmm. the seed literally emerges and sprouts and, and then from there it interacts with all of the environment. Um, it has a blueprint, how to look at the end of its life, but it doesn't really have a full plan of every step where, um, you know, we, 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 we're kind of just treating each other without any form of collaboration or um, trust. I think trust is a really core, yeah. core part of this. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's the process of sort of building that vision together and co-creating it. I don't think that we are set, we should be set on one sort of target vision um, inspired by, yeah, like robots and, you know, utopian ideals, but 
It is, it is setting the pathway to get to that point. That's why at the design science studio, like, you know, we've been doing things like world building and, and all, all that kind of imagineering stuff, which is really, really necessary. Um, and yeah, exactly. And in order to sort of be like, you know, um, really good at ancestors, um, we should continue the lineage of our species but not in a way that is done commercially. And that's another reason why like seed share is, exists or we want to sort of make that a reality because we understand that like, you know, like you mentioned the seed, inside the seed there is DNA and there is um, information that's encoded in these physical, physical and, and capsules and pods. And they have co-evolved with cultures and with civilization for many centuries and like yeah since since the beginning like when we all used to be hunters and gatherers and started like you know moving towards agricultural communities um yeah and also i want to bring something that michael pollan um said in his in one of his books and how like we've in a way domesticated plants but at the same time plants have domesticated us because we successfully cultivated these these species into sort of like commercial crops and and corn is a really big example is you know really good example that he mentioned and so now corn is in everything and basically we are corn so it's it's also not not just the feedback loops within within software but it's also within like plants and like how we cultivate these plants and right now we're so disconnected from it and you know obviously we don't i'm not saying we all should like become farmers again but we should move move beyond the um monoculture and the corporations that are sort of you know create selectively breeding these f1 varieties in order to make them unfertile and unproductive um yeah, yeah so, 100 percent with you here uh, kiki this is this is yeah. a, a huge point is yeah. the health of the microbiome is directly related mm -hmm. to the health of the soil and if we look at the human um, dna i mean the blueprint might be almost the same with all of us but our, our microbacterial dna in the in the gut biome is is what makes us really unique and i think this is really uh, at kind of at the forefront of our scientific understanding as far as i can grasp it is that we have to understand this. We have to learn mm -hmm. about this in a way that it, it's an invitation and it, it gets expressed in, in science and art and literature and podcasts and uh, all kinds of ways so that we as a species become awake to um, the role we're really playing in, in, in the natural world. I have a question there for you, yeah. uh, a personal mm -hmm. question, and that is around trust because trust just came up and um, I love exploring and deeper what it takes for people to trust. So my question for you, Kiki, is just on a very personal note, what is required for you to experience trust? So what is required for me? I think that just sort of like the, the energy of an individual being the, from the heart rather than in, in the head and rather than it being in the ego and, you know, with all those judgments and fixed sort of ideals about what a human is, you know, I think that for me, trust sits in the heart space and it's sort of the, the feeling of ease and the feeling of like comfort and 
creating space for one another and being inclusive in a way. So I think that a lot of people that live from the head and have a, a lot of you know preconceived ideas and notions of you know another human being or you know another yeah species. I think that yeah that does in a way play the part of you know it, it does affect your actions and um, for me trust is about aligning with the fact that we are all human and we're all beings and sentient and that we're all sort of living in eco in ecology with one another I mean that's what our planet is it's a one big ecosystem and I think that for me trust is about sort of like yeah it's very cliche but like you know being gentle and being sort of inclusive of each other and va valuing each other's sort of differences um and I, I don't like to think of like di like diversity as like you know like a very sort of like uh, exclusive word but I like to see diversity as like a diversity in perception um rather than like it being sort of like a different thing like I think we should sort of change our perception of diversity as like not diverse in that old notion but diverse in a way that is it's all mutually beneficial um and and it enhances the the community so yeah absolutely yeah. and that that is part of what where trust is really needed right and i absolutely agree with you i think diversity is, is something that is a lift experience as we're yeah. you know in my words i would say we're we're ultimately in, if you zoom out far enough and i luckily had the, the opportunity and privilege to interview <laughs> Ron Guerin, who was who was in space for 170 days. So even from the most scientific wow. uh, perspective, <laughs> if you just zoom out and you leave the planet, right? Um, we're all one, we're all here together. Mm -hmm. And in the, on the most esoteric side of saying this, we're all divine love incarnate in 8 billion different uh, versions. Mm -hmm. And so as these 8 billion different versions, that diversity, it's not so much about how we look diverse or how we speak diverse, but mm -hmm. as you said, they, they're, they're different perception points of a, a reality. And so, um, it's it's definitely a huge topic on the planet especially right now that we as a species give ourselves the time to healing right that the create the chaos we're in is a huge opportunity for healing for reconciling pains of the past for reconciling um, er errors we're still continuing to do which in my in my eyes are i think like genetically modified uh crops and monocultures and not to get lost in that rabbit hole but <laughs> we're, we're here to to understand what is part of our role as a keystone species and what is not part of that role. And um, I, I believe deeply in what you said that as a keystone species, we can really only um, claim that role when we let go of the domination, when we let go of the domination of the mind and when we ourselves are more than just a thinking mind, right? And, and design and art can actually create space for that, which is really what also happened in the first cohort of the Design Science Studio, I would say. What are maybe some of your highlights yes. of these last six months where you're like, wow, this was challenging or wow, this was something I grew uh, or this is something I just love doing. I think, you know, cause we, we, we're all like connecting via Zoom. I think that, um, I think like it's been really challenging um, trying to coordinate everything and do things together in a, 
in a way because you know we're all sort of like living in different parts of the world but at the same time it's been very like rewarding because you're connecting and they're like limits you know they're reduced barriers to sort of collaborating but it's so it's also like you know in you know boxed in into the laptop or in the phone that you know I really love like a lot of the things that they're doing now with sort of the virtual worlds that we're exploring together um, like Topia for example and New Art City and um, like all these like platforms allow us to sort of mediate ourselves as a digital like avatar and then connect with one another and create art together um, so I, we're definitely like prototyping and experimenting with you know whatever comes comes to our comes to our minds because right now like the coronavirus has like really really shifted a lot of society um, and I think that it's a really great time to sort of like reorient um, ourselves into you know it's just aligning with with nature and, and connecting with with the land and connecting with the earth and finding ways to not only do that but also to create make make it accessible for everyone to join I mean it's a platform for us to collaborate but at the same time connect and create um, a revolution that you know something like a revolution as a response to our current situation which is um, systemic um, yeah and I think that whatever we do together as like a group or a collective is definitely going to inform the, the overall movement um, yeah, beautifully put. You're, you're totally right on there. There are quite a few, I would call them inactive environments, right? Mm -hmm. Environments in the digital space. You mentioned it like Topia or the new art city. Um, those are all invitations for you listening as well to go check them out where there are like designed for learning environments, basically where the cognition arises through a dynamic interaction between the acting organism, you and the environment that you're in. And, and so, um, you know, usually maybe most likely people have experienced this at festivals or even at, you know, universities mm -hmm. where there are certain learning environments, but um, to copy that into the digital space, I think was a huge challenge for this first cohort to understand how can we make something inclusive and accessible as, as good as we can for this first step because you know it's never done it's always moving mm -hmm. um yeah beautiful that you're highlighting this yeah i think um that's really a key it's just making these platforms accessible and you know we can only have so many um people of 144 and i think that it's it's also showing the limitations of these platforms and like what sort of what sort needs to be innovated from that i think i think oh. that yeah yeah i mean it's also about you know what's possible beyond the present mm -hmm. normal beyond the present possibilities and rather than waiting for you know governments or agencies or corporations to tell us what that is we as people we as humans we as beings have the creative uh, ability to focus this into being and so maybe we could call that speculative design where we mm -hmm create and question something so we move beyond the currently plausible and make the invisible visible one of the themes actually in the design sense studio right making yeah, the invisible yeah. visible yeah exactly the speculative design aspect i feel like is very key as well because yeah i guess with me my, my artwork personally and um, i also do paintings and drawings i that used to actually inform a lot of the the work that i'm doing now um but it involves sort of like sitting in a meditative state and actually like 
waiting for like kind of messages well you know information to just to sort of like flow through me and that was like the most like um primal way of actually going with the flow because you're you know literally making marks and sort of going with the flow of you know the environment and just what you're feeling in that moment it's kind of like abstract but at the same time it was consistent enough for it to be like an actual picture um um yeah so where was I where was I going with that what did you say before that yeah well it, it was just about you know how there, yeah. there needs to be space for speculative design or for just imagining uh -huh. Well, not just imagining, but it, we're creating space for something that's currently not possible. And so making the invisible visible. And so when you were speaking about the art process that you as an artist go through yeah. meditating to to like receive, I think there's, you're mentioning something very interesting because this mindset, the scientific reductionist mindset of fixing, having solutions, thinking it until mm -hmm. it's there. Yeah. I think we've, we've tested this mindset out and this has gotten us so far, but really... Yeah. What I've learned and what the groups and, 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 you know, collaborations I've been in over the last five to seven years, um, what's showing up as a pattern is that you can only receive the real next steps. You can deceive mm -hmm. it from kind of an invisible pool of imagination, the nation of images, imagination. Yeah, I know. I know where I was going with that now. Yeah, exactly. It's just it was just sort of like paying attention to the invisible and just sensing um, you know, things that are happening around us, um, not really thinking about it, but sort of feeling it and sort of like embodying it and also manifesting it through like a creative practice. And that is the kind of thing that I feel is happening with the Design Time Studios that we're not doing it on a, like a canvas or a painting or some of us are, but we're also finding like, you know, we're also sort of playing around with like the little pockets of these, um, innovations or these ideas that you know don't really have sort of structure yet but they are coming as you know the more that we work on it and the more we speculate the more like we get informed of these designs and I think that's how every inventor does his like invention I think that's you know they 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 see a problem and they they see that they they're you know there is a huge problem that needs to be solved and they you know, they think about it, they imagine it, some of them dream it. So I think it's, you know, it's also about like thinking way outside of the box and thinking out of that very sort of structured approach of, you know, designing and like just having no boundaries. And I think that being like exploring a virtual world with other revolutionaries in the design science studios, also about creating that sort of lowering the barriers for people to like work together in a sense that you know it just yeah anyone can join and I think any individual from around the world can give a really fresh and novel perspective on how we might solve this problem yeah whether it might be purifying the seeds the soil or you know creating new sort of yeah just crazy crazy ideas that anyone can contribute to I think it's a great time. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely the time for it. I'm I'm, I'm curious. I have um two more questions for you, and I'm curious how you now taking all of this into account. You know, I love asking this question, uh, Kiki. If you 
alone or with a cohort of experts like the design scientists or any, any other cohort of experts, if you could change the education system as we currently know it in the world, what would you do? That's really interesting because I'm also, you know, a teaching assistant part time. Um, and I really love learning, like I personally love learning. And I love that children love learning. And I think that um, to transform the educational system, I feel like it needs to be radical in the sense where people, uh, kids and children and young adults are not sort of forced into learning something, but, you know, these students are basically the, the agents and they're independent. So they get to lead with what they feel like they can contribute to, because we're all different. And I feel like the educational system needs to accommodate for these individuals that have their own talents. And I, I feel like it should be project-based. So it should be based on actual things that people can actually do in real life and have them like instantly applicable because at the same time, like, I mean, it's great to learn maths because you need to know maths if you want to do engineering, but you know, not everyone should be led down that road and if they're interested in it. So I think basically what I'm saying is it needs to be really experimental, like as it is right now with, with primary school and elementary school. It's, mm, a, it's yeah, very much I love creative. The experimental and creative approach or like the individually yeah. kind of led and self-created. What role do you think failure plays in this context, especially, you know, you as an artist and as a painter, like how do you encounter this experience of failure and then letting go and picking up again and just trusting yourself again? Yeah, it's really, it's, it's, it's hard, but at the same time, we, you know, we all went through failure when we're, when we're really young, we, we always go through it, we learn not to do things, and, you know, we learn how to do things in a different way. Um, and I think, yeah, I guess you just sort of have to kind of accept and be comfortable in feeling uncomfortable. Um, and failure is inevitable in order to do trial and error and to find this, you know, a design that solve something that fits a purpose because even in nature like things fail all the time <laughs> like you've had you know I'm sure nature has had like very weird sort of mutations and you know evolutionary functions that did not survive um and you know like the survival of the of the, the fittest in the environment that was selectively adapted to succeed I feel like we all should yeah just sort of like experiment um and fail as much as possible. Um, but also be, have that neuroplasticity where you're able to unlearn and move into other things quickly and other tasks. Just be yeah, really- Resilience agile. really, right? Resilience yeah. is born from the process of accepting mm -hmm. failure or uncertainty as kind of just part of the journey rather than um, yeah. trying to get to like a perfect a reductionist kind of methodolo methodological step. You know, yeah. speaking different languages really is that for me over and over because there is just a space where you just got to give it and try and you're, you're knowingly already going to say something wrong, but you're kind of shooting for saying something right. Yeah. And so there's a lot of failure involved and ultimately mm -hmm. um, it only gets easier when you continue to show up for yourself. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you can't learn a language. And then these these excuses like. Uh, oh, I'm too old for this, or it's easier when you're younger, or, you know, um, I need more time. Well, all of this might be true, but really, mm -hmm. 
when what I've experienced again and again in, in learning various you know foreign languages is that once I say yes to sounding awkward, once I say yes to making mistakes, something changes. And then suddenly the process of learning is really kind of coming towards me. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's also an ego thing as well to sort of like, you know, want to resist the mistakes as well. You know, I think like another thing that I could say about, you know, being speaking from the heart and being very heart centered is that, you know, it's, it's fine. It's like we're all children in, in a way, like, you know, experimenting and doing what we feel feels right with no, you know, rational thinking. But, you know, obviously at the same time, we can use both and learn from our mistakes. And I think it's just a feedback loop. And I, I always talk about feedback loops, but I think it's that it's the whole idea of like trying something and if it's not working, then at least, you know, you know that it doesn't work. And so you're just kind of co-evolving with with the experiment beautiful yeah yeah kiki i have a last question for you um thank uh, you you know this was a fun interview so far and, <laughs> yeah. and i'm curious for your answer on this one so you mentioned it earlier about being an ancestor to the future right and like mm -hmm. being maybe also in relationship with this ancestry of both the past and, and the future so if we're together now zooming out on the timeline a little bit and we're imagining seven generations into the future right roughly 210 years if we, if we take like the, the original kind of length mm -hmm. of, of of a life in, in generational counting um and this might obviously also be changing but but so let's just say seven mm -hmm. generations into the future what is your dream what is the dream in your soul that lives that is alive that 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 you hold what is your prayer for our species and for yourself as an ancestor of the future my my ultimate dream is to you know, cultivate those seeds and keep on co-evolving with the earth and purifying as time goes on, getting rid of that, the, you know, the, the, toxic, the toxicity that we've developed through our culture, civilization, and to sort of, I think my dream in the future is one that is moving towards cleansing and healing and when I say cleansing, I mean, you know, I mean, you can't, you can't reverse things immediately. You can't change and heal things like, you know, in a short amount of time, it takes generations and generations. And I, I think that my ultimate vision and dream for the future is uh, just by continuing towards healing and remembering that the planet is for future generations as well. Um, so I think by being great ancestors is realizing that we're already ancestors now. And, um, you know, by looking after the planet now, it will just, yeah, create, create the life, you know, the earth that we want. And I think that's sort of my message and my ultimate dream. So, yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that answer. Uh, everyone who is watching this or is listening to this, um, this is also a, a call for application and invitation to be part of one of the future cohorts of the Design Science Studio. Uh, you can follow Kiki on Instagram, akiko.ogawa.art. Better make sure to link this out. Um, you also have a personal account on Instagram. Is there anything mm -hmm. else you want to share or any like any any inspiration no. you want to share at the end of this episode? Um. Well, I just want to say thank you so much. And I really, you know, I really en enjoyed this conversation. And I really feel like we're onto something revolutionary and everyone should come join us. Thank you so much, Kiki. Thank you. Thank you.
That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Here we are again. This is your host, Julian, and I hope you truly enjoyed this episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. Check out my Patreon, best way to support the podcast, myself and the mission, lots of exciting perks and ways to be engaged to receive more value. That being said, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit subscribe, review the show, share it with the people you love, and have yourself a stellar day. Thank you.